All right, so it's been several weeks since we talked about Gideon in our series on people of the promise, people that trusted in God, God used, uh, and God um, blessed, and, and also we learned that these people are people like us that had flaws like us as well. And last time in our study of Gideon um, taught us that little is much when God is at work. When we start off with Gideon, he's not that important a person. It's a, it's a difficult time in the history of Israel. He's taking care of some wheat, threshing some wheat in a wine press in a private place because he doesn't want to get it, get it stolen from him. Um, he doesn't seem like the kind of man that would rescue a nation. But we saw in Gideon part one, when little is much, and of course that's when God is at work, we saw a nation brought low by uh, God for sin. God was the one in charge. They were brought low for that. Uh, Midianites took over. Um, and Gideon was called by God to an impossible task. He was too small for it. And really, it's interesting, many of the things that God calls us to do, uh, particularly when we enter into them, we, we kind of get a face full of realizing we're too small for it. Um, we're not sufficient for these things. And, and then God gives him a sign that it's God that's truly speaking, and this produces a fear of God, a healthy fear of God, and also peace from God that he's on the right track. But first things first, he had to start with destroying the altar of Baal, and that um, was calculated to, well, it required courage. It was going to stir up opposition. He got his nickname from it, Jeroboam, let Baal contend, because the whole town was upset that these idols had been torn down. And his father said, well, if Baal's worried about it, let Baal take care of it. And, of course, Baal's a false idol. Baal couldn't do anything about it. Number five, we saw that the many, that is the Midianite army given by God to the few. I mean, it was an incredible kind of gift from God. 300 men going into battle with tens of thousands of soldiers like locusts, like sand of the seashore, and God gave them the victory. Um, God also strengthened Gideon against fear. By the night before the battle, um, <clears throat> he goes into the Midianite camp and hears uh, one soldier telling another soldier about a, a dream that he had. And the, the other soldier says, hey, I know the meaning of the dream. Gideon's going Gideon's to win this amazing battle. And, and God lets him overhear that. And then finally, we see at the end of chapter 7, the en enemy turned by God against themselves. How does an army of 300 beat an army of tens of thousands, uh, particularly with trumpets, pitchers, and torches? Okay. Um, well, the way they do it is God turns the enemy on themselves, and they end up killing each other, and um, Israel is delivered. So because the Lord empowered him and fought for Israel, Gideon achieved phenomenal success. I mean, there's no way you can read the story and say, the reason Gideon was successful is because Gideon was voted most likely to succeed in his high school, or that Gideon had the perfect mix of all the qualities of, of the master leader. No, the reason Gideon achieved the success that he did was because God was in it. God was at work. 
And there's a lot of things that we tend to take credit for that if we would just back up a little bit and think about the components, we would realize it's God that made the victory possible. Gideon would be a judge of Israel for roughly 40 years, and during that time, the nation would enjoy peace. So it's natural for us, it's appropriate for us uh, to want to achieve success. I've never met a person that says, you know what, my goal in life is to be a colossal failure. I I really want to mess up. That's just, I can hardly wait to mess up. All these kids, they're not going like, the reason I want to be an adult is I want to really mess up. I want to really be a failure. And parents are rearing the kids, son, would you grow up? I want you to be a failure. I, I, I want you to fail school. I want you to fail in your, I want you to get fired from so many jobs. You just can't remember a job that you ever stayed in. Uh, we don't, no, we don't, that's not what we want. We want to do well in school. We um, want to marry the man or woman of our dreams. We want to land the great job. We want to rise to a high level in our career. We want to grow a happy family. I mean, Maybe not everybody's wired like me, but I like winning. I don't like losing. I like winning every time. I don't always win, but I like win. If I could win every time, I would want to win every time. I play to win. I work to win. I want to win. Okay? I, I want to succeed. I don't like the feeling of losing. Okay? It's not uncommon to find out that we often enjoy the anticipation of our achievements more than the actual accomplishment of them. Have you found that out? Like, you know, you go on, I remember once in, in life group somebody sharing about how much we look forward to a vacation and then how often you get to the middle of vacation and you go, this is it? Okay, like, yeah, it was such, and I, it's interesting after the end of a, a championship game, you know, how often the reporters go, how do you feel, how do you feel? Well, you know, what are they supposed to say? I mean, they'll say like, hi mom, or. Sometimes they give compliments to others, but how do you feel? Well, I'm happy that we won. Uh, How will you feel tomorrow? Well, I'll probably still be happy that we won, but next, you know, life goes on. I still got to eat. I still got to sleep. And and sometimes, sometimes when we achieve success, it doesn't really feel that exhilarating. It's just like, okay, that's done. Check off that box. What's next? Okay. In some areas, we, instead of succeeding, we fall short of what we thought we would achieve. We call that midlife crisis, right? We, we think when we're in our, in our 20s, we're like going gonna, gonna to take the world by storm. There's no limit to what we can do. And then we start hitting the, the roadblocks. We start hitting the problems. And we get to 30 and 40 and 50 and go like, whoa, I really thought I'd be further along than this by this point. Um, with success, sometimes we find that it really doesn't satisfy us the way that we thought it would. With success come opportunities, but with success come temptations and dangers we never had to face before. And Gideon is going to illustrate this principle well for us in our study tonight is the pitfalls of success from the book of Judges in chapter 8. Now, let me just I need to do a little more introduction here. You could walk away from tonight's study feeling cynical and depressed. Like, okay, yeah, I'm in it to win, but when I win, it's just going to, you know, it's going to be a dirt sandwich. I mean, it's nothing, nothing exciting about this. No matter how well we do, life's not going to turn out well. And all the Eeyores of the congregation go, that's right. Life's the bummer. Okay. But that misses the point of what the Scriptures present here. So I want to talk about 
some things we're, we're, before we talk about uh, going through this passage, some things we need to remember. We need to remember first that the greatest blessings of all come when God is at work in our lives. He doesn't need us to be successful people. He has granted to us a life of His grace poured out on us. So the value of your life and even the joy of it is not dependent on how successful you are. Second, we must not fix our hopes, our heaven as it were, on our successes. They're not all they're cracked up to be, and they often come with a heavy price tag. We are a broken people in a broken world, and until God brings the new heaven and new earth, our successes will not free us from all the difficulties of living in this sin-cursed world. So don't think that somehow if you succeed in certain things that somehow, oh, I'm glad that's all the hard things are over now. That's just not that way. Third, we need to learn to enjoy the blessings of serving God by loving Him and loving others no matter what the ups and downs of our life journey brings. So whatever happens, the real joy in life is knowing that you're serving God, you're loving God, you're loving others. Uh, There's going to be ebb and flow. Um, Even if everything goes great, there's a point at which um, you can't do the work that you're doing anymore. There's a point at which you're the one on the shut-in list, okay? And that's not to depress you. It's just just say, look, serve God today in all the ups and downs, whatever happens, Enjoy the blessing of serving God. And fourth, we need to watch out for the special temptations that come with success. We don't want our blessings to end up harming others and ourselves just because we weren't being watchful of the pitfalls of success. So let's talk about them. Um, Gideon has had this phenomenal victory. He is now, he's gone from being a, a nobody Uh, to probably being the the most uh, well-known celebrity of his day. A powerful man, looked up to. And one of the first things he encounters, and this is not his fault, this is just because of the success that he enjoyed, is jealousy. Jealousy from others. In verses 1 through 3, then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. Now, they had been part of the battle, but not till later in the battle. Well, he said to them, he answers really very judiciously. He says, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest, the entire harvest of Abiezer? That was his home area. God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. But understand, when you do succeed, one of the things that you encounter is jealousy from others that want a piece of the pie. And it just goes with the territory. It's one of those pitfalls of success. Secondly, he encounters disloyalty, disloyalty. In verse 4, we read, Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. I love that. 
I love that description, exhausted yet pursuing. I think it could take in much of life. So, he said to the men of Succoth, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? In other words, they're worried that these kings haven't been put down yet, and if they help Gideon, and Gideon doesn't succeed, then, then these other kings of Midian are going to take it out on them. They're afraid to do this. So Gideon said, well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there, he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now, Zeba and Zalmunna, those are the kings of Midian, were in Karkar with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up from the way of the tent dwellers east of Noba and Jogbeha and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into a panic. Okay, so you're successful. You've had this amazing victory. There's follow-up battles to be fought. Well, don't think that a successful start will mean that everybody else buys in. Okay? You could, you could be in a church, and you're you're starting a new ministry, and it's going well. Don't expect everybody to hop on board. Not everyone will have the same vision and boldness that you do. Sometimes you have to push on without their support. So the success doesn't mean that everybody's going to be with you. Okay? There's going to be disloyalty. And then number three, revenge. And I put a question mark here. Because there's still a question mark in my mind whether revenge is what's going on here. And there's a question mark in the minds, if you read the literature, evidently of those trying to interpret the passage. In verse 13, then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle of the ascent of Harris, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. He wrote down for him the officials and leaders of Succoth, 77 members. Remember, these are the men that said, we're not going to help you. He came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your, your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he brought down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, those are the kings of Midian, where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, as you are, so they were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. The young man did not draw a sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments 
that were on the necks of their camels. Now, some interpreters charged that Gideon carried out punishment against the inhabitants of Succoth um, and, and the inhabitants of Peniel beyond the crime. And that with Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian, he was engaging just in personal revenge. Others argue that Gideon was only carrying out justice. And it struck me that this is actually the way leadership works. The very fact that there's a question suggests that one of the difficulties of successful leadership is hard choices that leave people divided on whether you did the right thing. Power often does lead to misuse and abuse. And even if it doesn't, it will lead to criticism. And so, is revenge going on here? Possibly. That's one of the possible pitfalls of success. Or is it that when you're in charge, there are things you have to take care of, um, things that aren't fun for anybody to take care of, but that you take care of and you're going to be criticized for it. Number four, idolatry. And this is where we see so far, these have been things, really the first two, the um, jealousy, the disloyalty, and, and possibly even the revenge, but the, the first two, and, and maybe the third, are things that, that were kind of thrust on Gideon. With number four, we start to see him deviate some. We see a misuse of wealth and a usurping of one's place. And the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. In other words, set up a dynasty, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord, Yahweh, will rule over you. Great answer. Great answer. Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Now the story's going to turn. Every one of you shall give me the earrings from a spoil. For they, that is the enemy soldiers, had gold in the earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They they were, uh, many of them, merchants, and they traveled a lot, and they were able to acquire a lot of, of jewelry and those kinds of things. And so, the spoil from this victory were a lot of these golden earrings. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels, so just a huge amount of wealth. Well, Gideon made an ephod of it, and we'll have to we'll have to define what ephod means. We'll get to that, and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there. They worshipped it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. An ephod was a tunic that the priest would wear. It, it often not only had, it had precious stones, and, uh, and of course he used gold here, uh, often beautiful fabric, a very elaborate kind of tunic, um, that, that was used in the exercise of the priest's office. And so, Gideon's success led first to misappropriating the priest's office to himself. Now, we don't know whether the priest in, in Shiloh was doing everything he was supposed to do, but it wasn't Gideon's job to be the priest. 
He turned down being a king. He didn't need to accept being a priest. And, and it led to Israel idolizing this, this gorgeous uh, ephod. If you go to some of the cathedrals of Europe, I'm thinking about Toledo um, in particular, but, but many, and you'll, you'll see just this decadent level of wealth on display. And, and this is what we see. We, we see Gideon turning this victory into really a decadent display of wealth that ended up being something that people actually worshiped. He was so popular that people wanted to make him king. He wisely refused the request, but then turned around and misused his power and his wealth and his popularity and ended up making a problem for all of Israel. And, you know, the thing that had brought them into difficulty was their idolatry. And here we have a success and the wealth from the success actually taking them back to just another form of idolatry. And then that leads to number five, indulgence. Indulgence. Jeroboam, remember that means let Baal contend. And it's interesting we'd bring up that name now. Remember, he started off his career opposing Baal, tearing down the altar. The son of Joash went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, so besides wives, he also had concubines, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Gideon's actions are completely in line with how ancient kings lived, but completely out of line with God's directives to Israel's leaders. In Deuteronomy 17, he says, when you have a king, he is not to multiply wives to himself. And that was just the standard custom. I mean, if you were super wealthy, if you were a king, if you were super powerful, then you, just, you had lots of wives. You displayed your wealth by, by doing that. And, and so even though he turned down the office of being a king, he lived like a king. After he refused the kingship, he lived like a king and thought of himself as a king, as evidenced by his naming this son of his, born of a concubine in Shechem, Abimelech. It says that Gideon named him Abimelech, and that means my father is king. So you see this slide through the indulgence. We, you see he turns down the office of king, but then he lives like a king, and he sees himself as a king. All of this because of his success. So it's possible to start off really well. It's possible to start off you know, with these impossible victories, but for the intervention of God, you win the victories, you gain the spoil from the victories, and then you turn around and use that spoil, you use the success in a way you should never use it. You see this happen over and over in the lives of people. They work hard, they, they want to serve God, they get to where they are because they are serving God, and God blesses them, and then they take those blessings, and, and they use those blessings in ways that are actually destructive. And then number six, number six, we see apostasy. Apostasy means to fall away. Leaders are mortal, and their successes are short-lived. Verse 32, Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age. He lived to be an old man and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. 
As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal breathe, that means Baal of the covenant, their God. Now, they had already had their, their practice session with this ephod. It's been 40 years since they used to worship Baal. They already had the practice session, and now they just go into full-bore idolatry. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, let Baal contend, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. And that's going to lead us, that would lead you into chapter 9. Abimelech turns up to be just a scoundrel of a young man, kills all of Gideon's other children, all but one, and um, it just takes Israel through a horrible time. But, but it's important for us as we think about success and we think about the trajectory of our lives it's important for us to remember that leaders are mortal and that their successes are short-lived. Just because in one generation people turn toward the Lord doesn't mean that in the next generation they won't turn away from Him. It's hard for us when those who let us well pass on, but it's good for us to remember that our hope is not in mortal men, however successful they are, but in the living God whose kingdom is forever. You know, if the Lord, if the Lord tarries and is coming back, and if the Lord preserves Hampton Park, and Hampton Park as a church family is still worshiping together 50 years from now or 100 years from now. By the way, 100 years from now, it's unlikely that any of you will be members of Hampton Park. In fact, 50 years from now, most of you won't be members of Hampton Park anymore. You'll be, you'll be with the Lord, okay? So, we, we don't want to act like, like this is forever. We want to take advantage of what God has given to us. We want to guard our hearts. Um, one of the responsibilities of, of the older generation is to help train those that are younger who will... Um, teach the same gospel. We want to be guardians of what God has given to us. We want to be careful about letting things in that are going to destroy what God has done because we, we live in a world um, that is broken. Our leaders are mortal. Successes are short-lived. Our hope is in the living God. Now, the upside of that is that, that you know, leaders are mortal and they might do wonderful things. The only reason they did wonderful things is because God did wonderful things. Okay? And God, God is with us all the days, even to the consummation of the age. The pitfalls of success, don't be caught off guard. Uh, don't be cynical about it. This is the way uh, life works. When you're successful, there's often problems with jealousy and disloyalty and maybe the temptation to revenge or at least to be um, criticized as being vengeful. Number four, um, it's easy to misuse the wealth and and usurp one's place and, and really turn toward worshiping things less than God and then indulgence. Um, I, think, I think particularly, you know, we think of indulgence being a young person's problem. I think it probably is more of an old person's problem. I think, I think we start desiring comfort more. We feel like we've, we've paid the price. We've 
fought the battles, and it's time for us, you know, we've got our barns built, it's time to take our ease and eat and drink and be merry, okay? And, and we want to keep just serving the Lord all the way through and not indulge, because we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to train the next generation in something that will take them away from the Lord. And then the apostasy that comes, um, realize that, that that's been the way of the world, uh, leaders are mortal, their successes are short-lived. All right, so you say, well, you said you weren't going to leave us on a downer, and you did anyway. Um, I, I hope not. I, this is to be realistic, though, about the world that we live in and the challenges that we face, and that the things that happen in our lives really are only by God's grace. God, thank you for your word, for the warnings that it gives, and Lord, Gideon, just a remarkable servant of yours, and um, seemed too small for the battles you called him to fight, and yet you gave him marvelous success. And Lord, with that success came difficulties, and with that success came temptations and sins. Um, Lord, guard our own hearts. Um, we desire success, like the best kinds of success that come from your hand, but Lord, we, we pray that you would help us guard our hearts, that we would not stray from the path, that we would not mislead others and use others in ways that would be harmful in this generation and the next. For it's in Christ's name we pray.